0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Movies That Make Us. I'm Jake. I'm Tracy. I'm Loki. And I'm Val. (laughs) (laughs) And we do have a very special guest with us today. Loki, welcome so so very much to the show. We are so glad to have you here um, to talk about this movie uh, that you've done called The Uncomfortable Truth. We couldn't be happier. I mean, it's just a thrill to have you here and talk about this. It's such a great film, such a powerful film, and uh, so much what we need right now. And so thank you for being here on the show.
1: Well, thank you. Appreciate
2: it. Yeah, so- Loki, a couple of weeks ago, we kind of put together um, our own list of um, movies to support Black Lives Matter. And then, like, Netflix and Amazon both came up with, mm-hmm. you know, a list of movies to watch. And your movie, The Uncomfortable Truth, is on the Black Lives Matter channel on Amazon Prime. Yeah. How cool is that?
1: That was very cool. Yeah, no idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and it and it deserves to be there um, and and this is kind of a, a follow-up to a film that you did a few years ago uh, about your mother. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's kind of the, you know, a lot of times I call it the prequel. Um, a lot of people okay. it's a film of my mom called an ordinary hero my mom's you know, civil rights but you know, this, is, this is her' I'll, I'll, I'll show you the here here, see my mom's the next column mug <laughs> <laughs> that shot from the freedom rides before they put her on death row. Um, watch the movie to learn the rest, but um, a lot of people are, you know, were. What is? What's her background? What's her story? And so that's why I kind of call this the, the the prequel to that because it takes you all the way back to uh, our family history, all the way back to 1610 when we arrived in Jamestown, mm-hmm. and it rolls you forward. And um, yeah, so it's just the history of institutional racism in America. And so our, our family helped create the problem. Know, we created, helped create slavery and so forth, but then my mom comes along and, and changes the paradigm in our family history uh, by becoming an activist and helping end Jim Crow and segregation and turning away from that history. Um, and so that's where we uh,
0: that's where we go from there. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think it's it's very interesting. Um, I know toward the end of the film. Uh, you're you're talking about your your grandmother, who yeah. sounds like she was an incredible lady in her in her own right, very generous as far as the money that she had, put a lot mm-hmm. of her grandkids through college and and things like that. but she still had those uh, racist um, tendencies that she had grown up with and mm-hmm. and ideas that she had grown up with. and I think it it kind of puts into focus what a lot of people are struggling with right now. Yeah. as we discover our own raci- racist ideas and thoughts, and how do you come to terms with that or your own family history? Uh, how do you come to terms with that and move forward and become more part of the solution instead of always kind of clinging to that, that past and what it always has been. Yeah. Well, was that a question?
3: No, well, <laughs> no, it wasn't as
1: I,
0: I found that part very powerful. And I guess, what, yeah. what would you say uh, to people as they a lot of people now are coming to grips with yeah. that and having to confront that a little bit and how do you do that and move forward
1: well you know well well one thing is is um you know we, when we talk about this in the film yes, you are kind of a summary of your past in that respects but you don't you get to define who you are and where you move forward um, my mother made that choice and we all can make that today and one of the things i think we're seeing a lot so we we've had gosh i think it was the past uh 20 days over three hundred fifty thousand 000 views on amazon wow um, of the uncomfortable truth and i'm getting tons of messages from people going i had no idea uh you know particularly from a historical standpoint
3: mm-hmm. and,
1: and they're and they're relating as well going now i understand what's going on in regards of of why we're having this movement today what what the the, the hurt and everything that's been taking place and it, it, it's all in context now
0: mm-hmm. um, you know,
1: I, I, my family, we were one of the original slave-holding families, right? My, my grandmother was a segregationist to the day she died. Um, so this whole narrative, I, I didn't do any of that, but I benefited from it. Um, and there's a sort of element, I think, where people feel like they've been lied to because they have been from a historical standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. But now we're at this junction where we can go, wow, okay. Now that I know, what do I do with it? I say that to a lot of people, I'm like, look, this isn't your fault, okay? You didn't do anything in the past. You're doing what you're doing now. What are you doing today that contributes or takes away from, right? How are you gonna move forward? Now that you know, what are you gonna do with it? And that's that's where we're sitting right now, um, particularly the white people um, is going, okay, now what? What do I do? And uh, Loki, at what
2: point yeah. in your life did you what when did it hit you and at what age did it hit you that you were like, I have to tell this story. I have to write this book. I have to make this documentary like you just felt like it was important to you. Um,
1: well, you know, it's kind of weird because
2: uh, yeah, I never
1: wanted to be my mother's shadow, right. And now my whole life is about my mom and, and the work she done, and, and and I'm trying to you know cover up my own space in that and, and have my own voice. Um, I I voted, you know, anything that had to do with my mom for years. Uh, you know, I honored her and so forth, of course, but respect my mother. But I didn't want to I didn't want to be that person just coattails, whatever else, and you know, because you, you want to be your own your own person, have your own identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, But everything always kept coming back around to that coming back around to my mom and it's when i did an ordinary hero that people would say to me i'd ask about can you you know can i use this photo or would you do an interview and they'd say for joan anything (laughs) i was like wow you know this is my mom and i have a a responsibility to this now i don't have to sit at the lunch counters like my mom did because well she did but I have to do what I can do because doing nothing is not an option. Mm-hmm. so uh, I, I took the gifts that I have you know, and the skills that I've been given and so forth and, and acquired and, and it used those uh, with my voice. And so and that's with the films and the book and, and the foundation that I created that exists to end racism through education. So, you know, we provide curriculums to schools and such to help, uh, you know, educate a new generation so that we don't repeat the past.
2: There was a couple of points in the film, I mean there was a lot of information in the film that that I wasn't aware of and it's very educational but there were a few points that really hit home to me um and they were at they kind of bookended the movie at the beginning yeah. of the film you open up right out of the gate and you say you know my family owned 100 slaves. Mm-hmm. And in, to stand in front of a room and to say that to a mixed yep. crowd. Like I, I have, you know, goosebumps right now because that is, it is the uncomfortable truth to say something like that. And then to find out that that indeed is not the truth. Right. It's this truth um, that, you know, stories have just like become myth and myth becomes stories. And you kind of explain that in the movie. Right. And so you don't really know what, to believe until you start asking questions. But back then, people just chose sides. A lot of people didn't ask questions. They just took whatever they heard and they're like, this is my truth and this is how I'm gonna live my life. And lives were hurt because of this. And then to jump forward, you were on social media, which is where a lot of us get our news these days, whether it's correct or not. And you saw a couple friends of yours unknowingly being racist and you just thought to yourself you know and this is something we see every day somebody just saying it's joke Mm -hmm. don't take it so serious lighten up it's just a joke but to a lot of people these things are not jokes and then to another half of people this is their reality that they've chosen to be their truth is to believe these things so it's so crazy to me to have stories from two very different generations and yet we have people believing the same things because they're just stories being spun and you just decide not to question them. Yeah. So how do you... No, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, so, I mean, it seems so far apart, these two generations, you know, us now, and then, you know, back when your grandmother was younger, but we're not that different.
1: Um, Well, we're not. it's, It's Just the technology is. Uh, the myth yeah. the myth making still exists and so my family the myth making you know was my grandmother was very very poor i mean she used to tell us stories of she had a christmas with all they got was an orange right and but so the, the myth making was this hundred slave narrative you know, mm-hmm. look how you know look how wealthy we are and, and this sort of stuff um and america is the same way we have this myth making that we do about our history because uh, no one likes to think of themselves as an SOB, right? right. Uh, and so so, so that, that carries through. We, you know, we, we have a tendency to do that in our personal lives. Facebook's a great example of that, and Instagram and so forth. No one ever tells the boring stuff. They always just tell the great stuff, right? <laughs> right. But, um, when, but, but what we miss is the, the opportunity to learn and to grow. So, you know, American history is told very much this, you know, we went from great to greater, to great to greater, you know, and we just keep on going, right? We, we, you know, we started awesome and we just kept getting awesomer, right? And that's obviously not the case, but mm-hmm. a lot of that's missing. And our families do the same thing. So by by deconstructing the mythology of my family, where myth becomes legend, right? And legend becomes fact and whatever. Uh, right? That in American history, Juneteenth is a great example. We just had this. Year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we we kind of gloss over the whole idea of, um, you know, that America made slavery, right? Channel mm-hmm. slavery. And you'll get people right. who go, well, yeah, well, you know, we have slavery in Africa. Like, okay, if you want to talk about that, we can. I, don't, I know you don't know anything about it, but um, we live <laughs> in America, so let's talk about America. And um, we, we kind of gloss over the whole, what actually happened to create that and, and the debates that took place. You know, when they're writing the Declaration of Independence and signing it and so forth, there's these debates that are going, can we really should we really have slavery when we're talking about independence and freedom? And yet they kept compromising, they kept falling back on, on their old ropes. But yet, you know, Juneteenth is a celebration of 4 million people freed from the worst kind of slavery right, American chattel slavery. Now America created it, but we also ended it, you know. And yes, we, we so there's progress, but then we fell back into Jim Crow, right? You know, you take two steps forward, one step back. But then America rose up to its challenge and, and you know, the citizens, and you ended segregation and, and you know, and, and you had the Voting Rights Act, right? Now we're seeing this resurgence again and so there's this, this this progression that we can learn from our mistakes. We're, we're trying to form a more perfect union. We're not there yet. And so that's much more interesting and a better way for people to learn than just, you know, everything's perfect.
3: Right, mm-hmm.
1: right. right. <clears throat> yeah. So so from a family standpoint, telling that story and and. You know again it's like you said you're telling it to a you know, this this mixed audience i mean oh my gosh you know you're airing the laundry if you will and it's it's like well yeah i mean until you're willing to confront the truth uh you know you're just you're just living it lie. um and that's not a healthy way to live once the truth will set you free we've heard that before right mm-hmm. yeah. right there's a great liberation that comes with that that gives us this opportunity to really then grow um, and grow, not just as individuals, but our relationships with people. We, you know, we live in a very hyper-segregated society, and it's conditioned. We're conditioned that way. Uh, people, well, there's not a lot of black people in Utah. There's there's plenty of black people in Utah, you know, and you know, and and, and Asian Americans, you know, and Hispanics, and so forth. And there's, there's, Utah is actually kind of diverse, right? Mm-hmm. If you go look for it, but you got to make that effort. But if you're living in your biases all the time, you're never
2: mm-hmm. going to.
3: And A I, very, I really like um, the what...
2: powerful part. Oh, go ahead.
3: I, I was just going to touch on the on the education part, um, mm-hmm. Loki, because, I mean, like I never knew about the the uh, situation that happened in, in Tulsa. Right. with Black Wall Street until I saw in Watchmen back in March of this year. Right. Um, I know about the the bombings that happened in Philadelphia. I didn't right. know about a lot of these things. And, and my family, <clears throat> my mom had a very romanticized version of the South. She, she was very interested in the Civil War, and she had a very romanticized mm-hmm. uh, vision of it. And it was interesting in your film when you talk about Stone Mountain, because they took us there once. Yeah. And I was just like, at the time, I was going. Okay, this is cool. I mean, my mom was telling me, you know, this is all about states' rights, and and I didn't know a lot of the history that that had occurred and happened mm-hmm. until I was in college and even beyond. Like I said, I didn't know about Tulsa until a couple months ago. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's incredibly important that we continue to educate ourselves. And I I thank you for putting information into the schools.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's and it's there's a thing where people. Of color in particular get really frustrated. You know, uh, how do you not know this? Mm-hmm. There's an assumption that white people should know this automatically, anyways, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, just the same way white people assume that every black person knows black history, right? Um, and when I when I when I challenge that with white people, I'm going, "Well, what are you?" And they're like, "Well, I'm Irish." I'm like, "Okay, well, t- start telling me Irish history." They're like, uh, "Yeah." Like, okay, you yeah, like, "Okay, I get it." Um, but you know what i saying? So. Uh, so I'm still seeing some of the stuff that I saw 40 years ago in the textbook today, right?
3: mm-hmm. when I
1: was in elementary school, that tells you how old I am now, right? 48, so- um, <laughs> I'm right behind you. Yeah, <laughs> so now if you take that, you know, in the, let's, let's just go 1980, right? So the teachers that were teaching me then would have been, you know, growing up in the 50s. Right. Their teachers would have been born in 1910, right? And so the people who taught them, if you keep going not you know, so we just keep teaching each other the same thing over and over again, again, that mythology. And so you get people who sit on these school boards and so forth and make these decisions, and what do they go to? The same things they're they're so used to talking about. And it's very uncomfortable to them because now you you grew up on all of this and it's 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 right, but it's not the whole story. Right. And now all of a sudden you know you're you're, you're challenging someone's sense of being, right? And that's what's yes. going on with these statues, for example. Like when we talk about you know, the lost cause and the scorification of the South, you know, uh, you know, state rights, the right to do. Yes. Let's have this conversation. But you might <laughs> yeah. have a more statues. specific right. Right. So now, now you we're reorienting the, the the conversation about the statue. So now it's like, hey, look, remember the South seceded; they were traitors. You know, we don't create statues to traitors. Uh I, I said to someone recently, I said, look, if an American soldier went during World War II, went off and fought for the Nazis and killed Americans and then came back, would we build statues for them? If someone yeah. if someone fought for Al Qaeda and came back, would we build statues? Well, no, of course not. So why would we do it for Confederate soldiers? And they don't know the history of that. Let alone what what does that do to our brothers and sisters? black brothers and sisters who have to see that because memorials are meant to say this is the ideal. This is what we want people to be like. This is the values that we honor. Well, we're starting to understand now, that look, those statues do not represent the values that we want America to be and our ideals, which is we don't believe in enslaving people. We fought a war for it why would we continue to memorialize people for that this needs to end
0: yeah. i think that's a great point point. and listening to you talk about history uh, it reminded me i i studied history at the university of utah one of the classes i took uh, was african-american history which is such a weird idea that there has to be a separate course that teaches all of these things and, and that's where i learned about a lot of the things like the tulsa massacre and like juneteenth and things like that that i hadn't learned up to that point um, and I'm grateful for that experience. And as you talk about um, taking down these memorials uh, and discovering history and learning about history, what are some good resources and places for people to go? Because it seems like anywhere you go online is gonna be skewed one way or another. And so where are some good unbiased resources for people to go other than of course your film uh, right, right, for them right. to get some First of this part, information.
1: Right. Uh, <laughs> well, nothing's unbiased. I mean, everything's filtered through something. We we'll just have to accept that. Uh, and you can find anything to to validate what your position is that's the beauty of the internet now Um, but for some you know real actual scholarly stuff um you know it's 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 there's take a look at the new york times best-selling list right now and Mm -hmm. that's a great place to start um a lot of that is about deconstructing this, this white narrative and so forth uh from a historical standpoint there's a you know, actually i got a book right here it's an old book it only goes to 1964 but it's uh before the mayflower
0: right? mm-hmm.
1: it's a great history book um you know for example um there's uh carol anderson who wrote the book white rage uh, mm-hmm. that's great that's on, the, that's on the list right now that that's a great great book um there's there's i'm trying to think of like all the different books out there <laughs> the <ones> freeze. <laughs> Um,
2: there you know, was a lot that you listed in the movie well, and yeah. you went kind of through your, your collection yeah, in the movie. The frame,
1: freeze the frame, zoom in and look at my bookshelf and there's even more. Of Perfect. Uh, Perfect. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, the films and stuff, I mean, obviously I can, you know, tap my own, you know, by all means, you know, the newest one after Selma about voter suppression. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, there's plenty of things. You have to, you know, you have to take everything for, for what it is, but add to it and, and then start to just kind of fill your brain because we, uh, we default to these biases because that's what our brain is filled with, right? Mm-hmm. This, this long history of information that just tells us, you know, how to think. And so that's when I right. say in the film, The Uncomfortable Truth, you know, look, even my mom still has racist tendencies. Gosh, like, mm-hmm. how, how is that possible? I mean, she's, you know, she's Joan, And it's like, well, because she grew up in America. But right. she's worked really hard to reprogram her brain and that when something comes up, she then analyzes, okay, why did I think that? What, what triggered that? And starts to do a deep dive on herself. Instead of just like, uh, oh, well, you know, that was unfortunate, or, or not even care, not even think about it, or create an excuse. We get a lot of excuses for ourselves. Or when we say something, people make excuses. Well, let me give you a quick example. So I have a film called Black, White, and Us, which is about racism through the lens of transracial adoptions in Utah. Just mm-hmm. a mouthful, but it's about white families who live in Utah who thought racism was over and then adopted these black children. And then suddenly realized, oh, it's still, you know, alive and, and kicking. And, and then in the film, this 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 character says, you know, he's he's, he's having an epiphany. He's right, working on this book called Courageous Conversations, and he's and his co-author who's who's black and from Baltimore. This one guy is white from Utah. He's like, you well, know, what do I do, Glenn? What do I do to end racism? And his answer is very simple. He says, "Believe me. Just believe me." So, when our friends tell us that something happened, we mm-hmm. don't try to qualify it. Right. Qualifying is actually for us because we feel safe in the myth. Right. And I say mm-hmm. that the truth. We like the myth. Mm-hmm. It, it makes us feel good. Right, and anything that counters that, all of a sudden we get uncomfortable. And so, well, clearly the cop must have pulled you over for something, right? Right. And well, well, maybe maybe you misinterpreted that. And that's 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 the purpose of all of this, uh, is to have that understanding, um, so that we can go okay. N- n- they always the question, Louvon Brown, out, he says to me all the time is, you know, now what? Wait, you know all this now what are you going to do
2: with it right yeah uh, i want to talk about lavon brown for a minute and kind of jump back to the film yeah. um yeah. because he is such an intricate part to the storytelling um because what i like so much about this documentary is that you get all sorts of perspectives because mm-hmm. there isn't just one side to what racism looks like or feels like and to have sure. LaVon there and to see him and your mom, you know, uh, together for a minute was, she's so tiny and to imagine <laughs> her and him sitting at these counters, you know, and no thinking she's getting pulled out, um, you know, and they're both being, you know, two totally different people being pulled out of, you know, these restaurants or right. you know off the buses or you know during this but yeah. they both just felt like they needed to be there mm-hmm. um and and when he talks about you know this is when you say quantifying he talks about when people will say well what about black on black violence right. and he's right. like well what about white on white violence like right. you know let's let's focus on what we need to talk about right now and that right. it's that we have a racism problem and we have police violence and everybody's like, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Well, can, you know, well, yes, we can talk about all those things too, but let's focus for a minute and try and fix this problem. And, um, you know, his stories about, you know, neighborhoods and you know how people want to have those conversations. You just kind of opened your eyes uh, about what we don't see from our side. Right, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and I have to more. say, even though this is a, a very heavy f- educational documentary, there's some humor in here. I laughed yeah. um, a few times when your mom's like, and, you know, we have the kids to prove it. But yeah. she's like, well, <laughs> you've got your kids and I've got my kids. And, you know, there's a couple times you like to slide in a little joke um, here and there. And, you know, I caught it. But, you know, it's OK to have humor. Um, But it also, you know, all of these things we need to talk about. But, you know, tell me how he has been such an influence on your life. You said you've known him now for a long time. I'm sure you guys have had a lot of conversations.
1: Well, and we still do every week. Actually, we have a podcast called The Uncomfortable Truth, uh, where we continue that conversation that we started in the film, and we continue to expand on that and talk about things topical today and, and other things that we never even touched on in the film. Right, we have guests that we bring in. So like we, just recently we had um, Dr. William A. Smith who did the study and coined the phrase racial battle fatigue, right? And so what is that? And uh, this, this, these are conversations that LeVon and I have because we have a level of trust with each other that we can do this, that a lot of white people probably just, you know, a lot of white people just don't have. And so it's hard for them to be, even have that level to ask, ask those sort of questions um and so that's what levon and i are doing is asking those questions I, i'll i'll play the devil's advocate um and and, and really go white on him
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 just, and just ask those sort of questions that you know white people think about it, right um but you know what's interesting about levon in the film in particular is this this was actually a, a friend of mine who went to a white guy who went to an hbcu an historical black college Right, um, it was in the army and everything. And he's watching the film. He saw an early cut of it. He's, he stops about halfway and he, and watching it. He calls me up and says, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know about this LeVon guy. I think he might be too, a little too, little, little too out there for some people. I said, keep watching. By the end of the film, he was like, oh, I get it, man. I just, I just love this guy. Um, because he starts off the film saying, no, I never liked white people.
3: Mm-hmm. Right,
1: And white people go, what did I do? What? Right. Right. Yeah. How don't you like me? Right? To take it very personal. At the end of the film. I didn't
2: question that. <laughs> no. I, I was just like, look, <laughs> we started the right. film with one guy saying that they owned a hundred slaves and then a black <laughs> guy saying I have no reason to like white I, people. Like I, I mean, just kind of took the context clues and I was okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: but you understand the America he grew up yeah. in. Right. You understand yeah. you know his experiences. And so I I will I will throw out my you know my world as well as the stats. And then LeVon gives it the perspective from his position, right? Um, my, my mom was the first white woman he ever trusted because wow. trusting a white woman in Mississippi would get you killed. Mm-hmm. Right. And he knew yeah. that from an early age because he was 11 years old when Emmett Till was killed in 1955. Mm-hmm. So all the evidence told him, you know, we you gotta be careful around white people. And that's the history he has. Um, nothing I did, but um, you know that, that that caution was built into that from his experiences. So then along comes my mom, and that story she he he doesn't she doesn't want him to tell at the very beginning. You know at the museum, and he's like, yeah, we you know we weren't going to tell that story. Well, we actually do tell the story on the podcast, and it's a very oh. telling episode uh, for those who actually want to do something. Uh, who, now, now they know, and they're like, "Okay, I got this information. I've watched the film. Now, what do I do? How do I get involved?" If that particular episode's is called um, "The Wrong Time to Be Right," okay. and it's not just my mom, and it's not just because she's white that that we find out in that podcast the dynamics of what's going on, and how how we can all how we all need to operate. Um, but Devon is just yeah, he's just just, just incredible individual after the film a couple years later he uh, actually had a stroke um he's doing better now he's probably about 80 percent back and sometimes you, you sometimes he's a little more than uh, than other times on the podcast and stuff but he's he's still very much with it and has his mobility and stuff but uh yeah he's just him and i just had that rapport and we understood each other and, and he does he
2: said that your mom was very um you know everyone <laughs> liked her because she wasn't She was who she was. She was exactly, you know, the person that she seemed. There was no pretense. She was passionate. She wanted to help. And she had a lot to lose by doing this. And he said he didn't really understand. Like, she's this white girl that has everything coming to her in a good way. And she just said, I don't care about any of this lifestyle that's being handed to me. I feel like I've got to go over here. And they and people just trusted her
1: not everyone no uh, you know Levon didn't trust her in the beginning you know what is what is she up to even when she was at Tougaloo College uh, which is you know historical black college she was the first white student there it was like okay she's she's had it easy what is she up to there's always that level of suspicion is she a spy you know or anything yeah. else um, and it's building that level of trust because there's there's that, that massive level of distrust that exists you know in the African American community, for very good reason. When you watch the film, it, it becomes you know very evident uh, and understandable. Um, and it's not you personally, right? Uh, it's just the way society has been structured by us to create that level of distrust. Um, so that, that needs to be earned. And my mom had to do the same thing. Now she, you know, she was already involved in the movement and stuff, so people knew that there was those elements. But again, that that's great on the surface, but individually. Levon, for example, I mean, he was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know about it. But what, what is she up to? And so there's that level of proof that had to take place. Of course, you know, white people, a lot of white people didn't like my mom, you know, for what she was doing. You know, She's a traitor and all those sorts of <laughs> things. But even her own parents, you know, her mother in particular, was aghast at what she was
2: doing. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Jake, you were going to ask a question. Yeah,
0: oh, no, Tracy's got one. Go ahead.
2: No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Jake. No, go ahead, Tracy.
3: I just wanted to, to, to wanted you to elaborate for those in our audience who haven't seen your film yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we're taught about slavery, there's still kind of this glossiness that we put on it, and we talk about picking cotton. And being out in the fields, we don't talk about and, and even after slavery ended. Um I, I want to talk for you a second if we could about Jesse Washington. Yeah. And the story yeah. and, and his experience because uh, 17 year that, it blew me away. Yeah, could you please for our audience kind of go into that for a minute?
1: Yeah, so Jesse Washington. So this this is taking place. Um there's there's massive amounts of lynchings taking place. And this is going up in you know. Gosh, from the 1880s in, you know, up until the 1960s, it was uh, one person was lynched every other day in America for 88 years. Jesse Washington was one particular example. Now there was actually two, but I never told the second one in the film. I took it out. Um, but Jesse Washington in particular was this 17-year-old who was accused of, you know, raping a white woman and something to that effect. It's always that. It's always something sexual, right? It always has to be the right. case. Uh, so that's the easy, easy thing, just like a little till. Um, and so they, uh, they, they had a very speedy trial, and outside was this mob of thousands of people in Waco, Texas, out for a public lynching. You know, they, they actually, during school break, you know, during like you know, recess, the kids were able to come and watch as they burned him alive. Um, and then they took his body and they would break off charred pieces of his body as souvenirs. And they would have postcards that they would you know take pictures of. And the postal service allowed this you know, for years of sending postcards of lynchings until they finally decided maybe this isn't the best use of the postal service. Right. Um, but that's you know, that's just this one example. And I had someone you know say to me, we did a screening once, and they're like, you know, I can't believe you would show that. I'm like, I didn't even share it with you would be the worst one that i that I read about. And that was um, and I'm blanking on her name and I feel bad that I do at the moment, uh, but her name was also Mary. And it was in Georgia and she was um, stripped naked, hung upside down and she was pregnant at the time. They doused her with like kerosene or something and then they you know, lit her on fire. They cut her baby out and the baby was actually alive and it fell out onto the ground and it was crying. And then someone came forward and crush the baby to keep it from to kill it. Her crime was protesting against the lynching of her husband just a week before. Oh my God! That's you know that's that's part of the American story, right? Now there are people who stood up against that. That's the other part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to look at both sides. But there, there's there's this ugliness, there's this history, and so when we we come to a George Floyd, we come to a Maud Aubrey, none of this is happening in a vacuum, and this is why you have Black Lives Matter. This is this history that that's this culmination right here. Uh, just because your well, I, I said, your white ignorance is not the same as as someone else's black experience. Right. Just because you didn't know doesn't mean it didn't happen, right? They, these are Real stories, real lives, and, um, and so when they say you know black lives don't matter as much as white lives, then it becomes you know well well I don't I don't believe that well that's because you just don't know anything and and, and this is why what's going on and 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 you know uh, in the case of a lot of these lynchings and stuff you know the police were involved because they were part of the Klan anyways uh, you, know, you had high government officials. There was in the, in the ordinary hero. We talk about this in the uncomfortable truth as well. There's uh, a famous lynching that took place in Georgia of a Jewish man, and uh, no one could no one could figure out who was involved, even though there was a photograph. But no one would right. identify who they who these people were, even though it was a mayor and like a former governor and so forth. That somehow no one could identify anybody until everyone was dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And so. It would continue because no one was holding white people weren't holding white people accountable. Black right. people couldn't say anything about it, even though people were right and they pay for it with their lives. But this is, yeah, you know, this is America. Um, there's there's great things about what we've done, and there's horrible things about what we've done. We're, we're we're there's plenty of countries have had you know issues as well, right? right. But we live in America, so let's dress America. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's live up to the ideals that we really you know should. And each of us need to, to do that. So I, I try to do that through the films.
0: So I think it's interesting as we go through and as you, um, it, it feels like the film is broken down into kind of three time periods, right? You have the slavery and, and the racism that existed there. And then right. Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And we have a tendency to think that this is all in the past, that this right. all happened. Right. And, and especially, you know, as my kids grow up, when you talk about the Civil Rights Act in 1965, that is going to be ancient history for them. My oldest is 13. That's like way in the past, right? Yeah. But then you talked about the colorblind society, uh, yeah. society. What And and as you did, that resonated a lot with me as I thought about a lot of the responses to Black Lives Matter when you hear, well, all lives matter. Yeah. And I thought, this is what we are in the middle of right now. So maybe for, for our audience, explain a little bit what the colorblind society is uh, yeah. and, and what we're going through right now. So yeah, so,
1: so what you're referring to in particular is these structures that are built upon a foundation of racism. And so while slavery ends, the foundation is still there. And mm-hmm. so then a new structure is built on top, which was Jim Crow segregation. That gets dismantled. And then we built something else on called the Colorblind Society, which is this new unique way of talking about things where I don't see color. And there's all this sort of coded language that strips out uh, you know, we, we can't openly say racist stuff anymore, right? So we're gonna say it in another way, still be racist and everyone still, there's still the wink and the nods and so forth. Um, but the color, but we're all downstream of the past. So to assume that just because slavery ended or Jim Crow ended doesn't mean slave doesn't mean racism ended, right? So with the colorblind society, you know, it's, it's it's a another level of re-enslavement, if you will, with um, the war on drugs, right? Mass incarceration, school to prison pipeline, all these things where we don't have to call it, you know, it, it's, it's just a new thing restructured all over again. Um, so when people say, well, I'm, I'm, I don't see color, I'm colorblind, that's just their way of saying I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's really what it is. And they they, they see themselves as this you know, benevolent individual who has no bias or whatever else. I just see people for people. And that's why they always go back to the same well, look, you know, I, I don't, I don't judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, just like Dr. King wanted. So you throw out the Dr. King card, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I'm not racist. I'm not a bigot. I'm not prejudiced. Everyone's prejudiced. Everyone has bias. It doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what orientation you have. Everyone has that. Racism, in and of itself, is a, is, is a structure um, that, that, that's coupled with power. So you have. The individual races, then you have the institution of racism
3: in America. Right. Right. Well, and, you, you, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt okay. you. I was just going to say you, you talk about in the film about um, how ingrained it is in our society when it comes down to like home loans and right. the redlining that was happening and building yeah. these communities. And now you have for profit prisons. So there's even more yeah. reason to put people into the prison yeah. system. Yeah, Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it just, it's so built into our society and we we just don't know it.
1: Right. And so white people, we have a uh gosh, uh, D'Angelo talks about this in her book, White Fragility, wherein uh, most white people see racism as black and white photographs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, literally right. the ones behind me, right over there. there we go. There's a black white. My mom's here for right? Um so you know, so those well those are bad people who did bad things, and that's what racists do. You know, they they put on hoods and they burn crosses and these sort of things. And I don't do that. So I'm not a racist. Right. Um, because no one again, no one wants to think of themselves as big Right. So the so they so they ignore the institution side. So white people see racism as, as that. Whereas African-Americans, they see it from a broader perspective of the institution of racism that feeds those individuals. Um, and so just because the outward manifestations of racism in regards of those black and white photographs, the lunch counters and the buses and, you know, and, and so forth, and the water fountains are gone, doesn't mean racism ended, right? Um, and so that's, that's where this this greater understanding
0: of white fragility,
1: <laughs> Someone to come in. Sorry,
0: <laughs> no, you're right. right. It happens to um, us all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's 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 part of the new normal where you've got people just coming right. in and out
2: for these things. Takes the I, I,
3: I, the kids, kids show up every once in a while too. <laughs> yeah,
2: totally. My dogs are in and out of here all the time. <laughs>
1: But but that, but now we're kind of getting we're getting down to kind of the nitty gritty here a little bit. We're talking we're starting to talk about this uh, you know white fragility and the biases and these unconscious biases and so forth and how we're you know we're starting to understand as white people more of how we play into all of this. Um, and so again, like I said, everyone has bias. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. Everyone has bias. We all we're all prejudiced on some level or another, where we prejudge people when we see them. Right, if, if, you know, if you're a woman and you've got blonde hair, you know, if, if you're overweight or this, or you know, you're black or whatever, we're all going to put layers of information that we've been fed that diet in American culture, right? Um, where when the second we see someone, we've already formulated what we think, who, uh, how we think about them are they a threat or are they not? Are they smart or are they not? You know, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and so that's the prejudice, racism. Is when you couple that with power. And I can exact, you know, I can exercise my bias to the extreme. So that's where you get, you know, the Karens, right? Uh, you hear about uh-huh. you know, people with their cell phone. You know, all of a sudden you're seeing people going, well, you can't do this here and you can't do that there. That the policing of people, that, that self righteousness that comes with that. All right. Um, yeah, there's actually the Boston Globe did an article about, you know, uh, it said, don't be a Karen, be a Joan. And it was about my mom. <laughs> Like, dude, we're gonna be somebody to do this. So, we have a hashtag now that says, Be a Joan.
2: Right. I love that. And I get Facebook messages. I love that, from you, brought up, um, I love that you brought up white fragility because yeah. I had just finished reading that last week and then had watched your documentary the next day. And when you had brought up at the end that your mom still has mm-hmm. these tendencies, because after you read white, white fragility and you understand that racism yeah. isn't you know, this big bad thing. I mean it's bad, but we automatically think it's this horrible thing over here. And we right. don't see our everything's over here that we do that fits in the category of racism. And hearing, you know, you say that your mom still has those tendencies. But what she does is she stops and says, Okay, why did I think that way? Right. What was it that caused it? And then you walk through it. And mm-hmm. I think we all have that because I think everyone Of all, after, after, watching, um, after watching your documentary, yeah. after we di- reading White Fragility and all of these other books, you realize I've done some things that I didn't know that I shouldn't have done or said, I yeah. didn't know that this fit to this category. And so then you can now you educate yourself. Then when it happens, ask yourself, why you felt that way and then fix it so that you do not do that again. And I think that's the process of every individual person. If we want to fix this problem, we need to start with ourselves.
1: Right. right. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, when, when I'll talk, I'll, sometimes I'll get talks with you, know, with, you know, dialogue with uh, corporations or whatever, and, and these groups and stuff. And, and I, I did a training with some teachers back in Virginia just recently and you know, over zoom and stuff. But I, you know, I said, I started off said, understand none of this is your fault. Right? Uh, you, you can just you can actually really say and be honest about saying I didn't own any slaves. I hope you didn't, you know, but well, you don't. But I didn't own any slaves. I didn't I wasn't part of Jim Crow. It's like, yes, none of that is your fault. Um, but you, what are you doing now? And how are you, what are you doing to perpetuate what's going on, right? What's your, what's your role in this? And people don't really understand, you know, how the brain works. And this is why I say, you know, we're all prejudiced. So the brain actually takes in uh, 11 million bits of, of information at any given moment in time. But we can only really process about 40.
3: Mm.
1: So what's what's it filling in the middle? And This is an evolutionary thing because, you know, when a lion's charging towards you or a bear or something, you don't want to sit there and process 11 million bits going, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Right, <laughs> stories you've been told you do know, have, have ever been charged by a bear, right? But all the stories you've been told, you might, you know, everything in between, you know, whatever you've seen in media and these sort of things tells you what's going to happen, and so instinctively you you take off, right? right. So that's where we all prejudge. And so when we have, you know, a young black person who's wearing the hoodie, you know, fits, you know, you know, is straight out of Central Casting, if you will, is walking right. towards us. Oh no, the tense, you know, the tension builds. Now, black people do this too, right? Because they've all been said the same diet, right? That we have this layer of judgment on an individual. And that's a survival thing. But we've been taught to think that. And that's part of the problem. And part of that is that that history lesson that we go through, you know, the, the you know, the whole thing of the, the criminal black man. Right. The, the, the black beast, mm-hmm. rapists, you know, all these narratives that, that play into this and how we handle that now that we know because now we have the films and so forth or the information, read the books. Now that you know, what are you going to do with it?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: right. And how wh- and what are you going to do to end it? I have people say, I don't teach my kids to be racist. I'm like, I believe you. But do you teach them not to be racist? Because of those. Right. right. And I say in the film, don't worry if your kids aren't racist. Society will take care of it anyways, right? Uh, unless you actively are doing something against it, then you are helping perpetuate it. Your silence is affirmation that everything is OK, that those jokes or whatever else, uh, when someone says something at the office and you just oh, I don't feel comfortable saying anything back you know, or correcting somebody, then you are validating what is taking place. Um, so we need to make sure that we aren't doing that, that we are, that we are making sure that there is that counter narrative. And as each of us take responsibility for ourselves and in our own homes and in our circles and influence, that's where the change is going to take place. The Uncomfortable Truth is just the first step mm-hmm. of getting that knowledge. Levon, I was talking to him the other day and he's like, you know, I just watched the film again. I'm like, really? Hi, I can't. I can't watch it. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, it's all right. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. I was like, but he says, you know, what I really liked was the most important thing in the film to me. He said was when we're all sitting down eating together. You know, and that's what we need to be doing more of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, after COVID, of course. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's having those sit downs. Having a there's something about having that meal and just just you know just experiencing each other just on this, this normal level, um, mm-hmm. and when you because when you get to know someone when they're in your home or you're in theirs and such when the walls start the barriers that come down the fears you know evaporate and you know you can't have that hate through that fear and everything else and that's where the real, that's where everything starts to really start to change. Okay. Again, it's it's up to each of us to make that difference. My mom, you know, my mom says, "You know, I can't do everything, but I can do something, because doing nothing is not an option." Um, I love that. I I don't have to sit at the lunch counters because my mother already did, right? But I have to do what I can do, and uh, I I chose to do films. Um, it's not a great way to make make a living, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, you know that's that's what I could do. To, to contribute to the, to the
0: dialogue, and to, to help move, you know, continue that legacy and move things forward. But yeah. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Loki, for that. Um, and thank you for sharing this film with us um, as well as an ordinary hero. Um, this is uh, the uncomfortable truth is available on Amazon prime right now. It's included with Amazon prime. Uh, it's a great time to watch it. It will, I, I think if you watch it, you're going to be confronted with a few things and that's probably a good Absolutely. thing. Yeah. And hopefully it will lead to conversations. Um, you mentioned your uh, foundation that you have Yeah. Uh, the same for your mother. Why don't you tell us where they, where people can find information about that and how they can help contribute to that.
1: Yeah. So if, if, and if you don't have a Amazon prime, you know, you can actually, you know, you can buy a DVD. People still do that kind of time, but you can get that all at the foundation's website, which is JTMFoundation.org. Uh, you know we, we exist to end racism through education. Uh, something as simple as a for example, you know, a five dollar monthly recurring donation, we can provide curriculum to 30 students. We've already helped, I think, about 30,000 students already. Wow. Uh, providing curriculum that way. And uh you know the, the films are there. We have more educational material for teachers, reading guides and, and civil rights ma- interactive civil rights maps. So you know we continue to add to that uh, to the films. We have the podcast series as well, The Uncomfortable Truth. We continued the conversation. We're gosh, it's been 21 episodes now. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's just we're just continuing to add add to that you know, to, to help. That's what it's all about. You know, we, we need each other to survive. So
3: yeah. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Loki, real quick before we let you go, um do you feel like this is gonna be a flashpoint? Because we we've talked in a previous show about how every generation we're getting a little bit. Ahead of this, we're getting a little bit better at this, but mm. we still have a long ways to go. Yeah. Do you see this as like the the genesis of a of a big movement for the next generation?
1: Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I've had a lot of conversations on that, and and one we shouldn't be surprised what we're seeing. Um, there's there's always um, you know after after the Civil War, so you have this great opening after the Civil War, and then there's this retrenchment. You know, you know, we had re- a little bit of reconstruction there, and that was nice, but then all of a sudden, boom, Jim Crow. After Jim Crow, hey, a little, little bit of breath, and then, boom, war on drugs. We have Obama, right? Now, for a lot of people, that was a great thing. For some people, you know, it wasn't. But mm-hmm. we're seeing a reaction to that progressivism, right? That's where we're living in right now. And But now, there's just that, you know, uh, yeah, yeah we just we just we're seeing this this what what's 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 most exciting when I'm talking to the old folks the civil rights folks they're saying you know what I I've, I've never seen it this mixed before mm-hmm. um in that you know white people are coming out and and, and, and you know they're doing what they should have always been doing the um, you know, I tell people, you know, look, racism is a white person disease that we constantly ask African Americans to deal with, solve our problems for us. Right? Mm-hmm. This is our problem. You know, uh, we need to be part of that solution. You know, we created white supremacy. We should be at the forefront of ending Um, So we, we we need to be the ones like this program right here, of, of having these dialogues and mm-hmm. such. But I'm, yeah, I'm very hopeful. I, I it's it's. You know, we, we, we oftentimes, you know, we, we kind of like, oh, this is like, you know, this is YouTube generation, you know, they, they have a tension span of a, you know, of a, of a goldfish, or whatever else, you know, people will move on. Well, the civil rights movement, you know, it's so encapsulated in this, you know, like in my film, for example, An Ordinary Hero, it's like, gosh, this thing was going nonstop, right? Not really. You'd have these moments here. You have the moments there. And you add them all up, it actually amounts to something. It's, uh, Brown versus Board of Education was 1954. It took 10 years to get the Voting Rights Act or the Civil Rights Act, excuse me, the 1964, Voting Rights Act 65. During that time period, it wasn't nonstop uh, and it wasn't everywhere, but there was a lot of people doing a lot of, lot of things over time that added up and, and we're seeing that. Now, I think now because of technology, we're able to compress that more and because you know, more information is available and such um, but what we do here in Utah, uh, we, we need to focus on Utah. We, we we're not going to change Minneapolis. We're not going to change Atlanta, right? Atlanta's going to change Atlanta. We're gonna, we need to change Utah bloom where you're planted, right? Uh, hold people here accountable, make, make the difference where you're at. But yeah, I, I have a lot of hope because it's, 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 it's it just feels different. Um, and in particular, because. Quite frankly, just, you know, we're seeing more white people involved as they sh- should always be, right? This is America. Um, and we're, we're all in this together. So, yeah. yeah. I don't want more to say. I'm, like, I'm just, I'm just hoping. <laughs> I think it's exciting. I think it's great. Sure. I mean, we're living in history at the moment. Um, I, there's a lot, still a lot of work to do. Ready, yeah, right. Slide. Um, you know, and, Uh, again, like what what we change here, you know, so you take a look at the sit-ins, for example. The first sit-in was February 1st, 1960, the first student sit-in that we recognize. That was in Greensboro, North Carolina, right? That one act led to, uh, within months, 70,000-plus people involved in sit-ins. But Greensboro didn't change Jackson, which is 1963, the Jackson sit-in my mom's involved in. Uh, Jackson changed Jackson, right? Um, and so we need to we need to remember that. and we need to have the you know, the, the, the perseverance, you know, the, the willingness to see it through. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you, thank you so again, much, Loki. Loki. Yeah. We, we appreciate your time. This has been no. a wonderful conversation. Right. I that as people have listened, that will lead to further conversations uh, with your own circles and your own uh, groups of friends and with each other. Um, I think that's a big key to moving forward is if we take the time to talk and listen and understand each other. And um, and I, I think you're right. I think this is a great time, a, a hopeful time, and we all just need to be involved and keep moving it forward. So again, check out the film, The Uncomfortable Truth. Um, it's an excellent, excellent piece. Um, And until next time, we won't see you at the movies.
3: I wrote.